0: Let's begin. We are actually starting a new series in the book of 1 Peter in in the Bible. And so we begin to look, as I begin to look at at this book, uh, I think you will have a a printout of the passage that we're going to look at today. Um, What struck me again when we come to the book of 1 Peter, is how the Lord, that the Lord chooses to use who he chooses to use to achieve his purposes. And as we may know, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote a large number of the books in the New Testament letters Yet it was Peter the fisherman, not Paul the theologian, to whom Jesus said, "I tell you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church, my, my, my people." And so it is Paul it, 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 and so it is Paul the church planter, but it is Peter the pastor, or the shepherd. And our minds immediately go to Peter's recommissioning by Jesus in the Gospel of John, when he says and instructs Peter to feed, to take care of his sheep, to take care of his people. And so when we come to the book of 1 Peter we get to see and understand the heart of a shepherd. A shepherd that Jesus has entrusted his sheep to, to be fed and to be taken care of. And right at the outset of this letter, following the initial uh, greeting, Peter prioritises or makes most important something right at the centre of what he wants to say. And it's hope that Peter starts with. So we're going to start by reading God's word. You'll have a printout with you. So let me, let me read. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And here, Peter is thinking about Jesus' second coming, his return. In all this, he says, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, so that the prove, so these may these have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible sorry with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls concerning this salvation that the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, And when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and sober, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming." As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires when you had when you lived in ignorance but just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do for it is written be holy because I am holy It it has been said that a person can live 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but only four seconds without hope. It's quite a, a, a trite little saying but I think it makes an important point, doesn't it? A psychologist called James T. Bowden said this. Human beings are very much like plants, Without so, with, with hope being the water that allows us to flourish and, and grow. Remove hope from our lives, and like... Plants denied water, we will wither and die. One person described hope as that belief that things are going to get better. But the truth of the matter is that for many people, hope can mean little more than just wishful thinking, that your football team, I hope that my football team win the next match. I hope that Charlton Athletic don't get relegated. I hope I get promoted at work to a better job. I hope I pass this exam or that test. Or I hope that at least some form of stability can be achieved by our new Prime Minister. Some of it, as I said, it's just wishful thinking. (laughs) I shouldn't be such a cynic. Or maybe for some of us, we may be hoping that the blood test comes back negative or the diagnosis for that illness isn't as grave as it may be, or hoping that peace would return to my country. It's hope we have, isn't it? And so we hope for a brighter future. We hope for something better than this. Isn't it interesting that part of our shared experience as human beings is we tend to thrive or have the will to battle on whenever there is the slightest hope that things would improve. It's a cloud, it's a silver lining at the edge of the cloud on a dark day. You know, as a plant thrives with water, so humans thrive when there is hope. Just reading a little bit, and, and one uh, uh, Indian chap who was in, p- p- engaged in politics in India, and, and he was struggling, finding it hard to find hope. And he describes his experience when he says, Yeah, when you wake up in the morning yet there's nothing to motivate you to get out of bed. You, know, you, you, you want to be just still, to not think or feel anything. And so you just go through the motions. <coughs> Hope. Without it, we wither. We stand still. Still. And yet where there is the slightest glimmer of hope, we grow as human beings, able to move forward, whatever that might be. But it's how God has created us. It's how we are made as God's creatures. To live with hope, to search for hope, even in the hardest of times. It's what the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says. He has set eternity in the human heart. And so when the Bible talks about hope, more specifically in 1 Peter, what does it mean? Is it just wishful thinking? Well, for the next few moments, we're going to look at four things of what this passage talks about in 1 Peter. And I'll read a little bit more of it now. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first thing I want us to think about is that we have been given a living hope. It's far more than wishful thinking. A kind of vague hope that things will somehow work out positively. When in reality there is never any real guarantee. Life just isn't like that. And we have to be honest with ourselves, don't we? But here Peter talks of, talks of this hope as being living, a living hope. How can Peter talk about this? Well, because this hope is not about turns of events. It's not about personal prosperity. But this hope is about a person, Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead. You know, the testimony or the story of an eyewitness person Someone who has seen something firsthand is far better than a testimony or, or, or a story that is like a legend, a, a myth. And here we have Peter, who, has a fir- who is a first-hand witness. He saw Jesus with his own eyes following his crucifixion and being raised from the dead. And so when Peter says this is a living hope, it's because he's seen it with his own eyes. And so he's able to say it with utter conviction. This hope is not a dead hope or just wishful thinking, but this is a living hope in a living Saviour, and everyone who would have read the original letter knew this and so we can have this same confidence that this hope the Bible talks about is a living hope not a dead hope not just wishful thinking that starts and ends with, with us The second thing I want to to talk about is that this hope is incorruptible. This hope is incorruptible. Yeah, We see in verse 4, Peter goes on to describe this hope we have uh, as as an inheritance. Now, most of us uh, would not necessarily look at an aging relative purely in terms of a financial gain when they pass away. Sometimes we may joke about having a wealthy distant relative with the hope that maybe one day we would actually benefit from this person's will, this person's estate. But we don't think about people like that. But we can't deny the fact that if we are fortunate enough to be left an inheritance, it can certainly work towards easing the financial pressures, the financial burdens of life. We could even describe an inheritance as a mixed blessing. But here when Peter describes this hope as a blessing... It certainly isn't a mixed blessing. And neither is it a short-lived, temporary blessing. One hobby I have, and some of you will know about it, is that I have a vintage Lambretta. And I enjoy tinkering with it. I enjoy making it shiny and look pretty. My wife once described it looking like a nail bar. But... (laughs) I have forgiven her. And one of the things that we joke with our kids about is that who's going to inherit this scooter when I die? To be honest, our children would rather not inherit it. They don't care about my hobby. But seeing as Sam is in the room this morning, we will leave it to our favorite. Sam, I hope my other two children aren't listening online. They're all special. The thing is that whether they inherit this shiny scooter or not, as time moves on, the shine will go it will eventually stop working when they no longer have a father who can fix it. And it will return to the ground from which it came as iron ore. And it will cease to exist. The truth is, though, that Everything fades, doesn't it? Everything wears out and spoils. Ultimately, our brightest dreams, our most noble hopes, our loved ones, they all fade eventually. That's life here on earth. But the thing about this hope we have in Jesus is that it's permanent. This hope is incorruptible. And it reminds us of the hymn, doesn't it? Swift to its close ebbs ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay, and all around I see. O Thou, Jesus, who changest not, abide with me as I abide with you. This hope is permanent by nature, eternal in length, and more glorious and spectacular than we could ever hope to imagine. You know, in a rapidly changing world, few things seem secure. And this is really my next point, point number three. Even those things that once seemed Terra firma, solid ground, no longer do. You know, I'm guessing that few of us could even begin to imagine what our friends from Ukraine have gone through and what our friends from Ukraine are going through. Those things, home, family nationhood, all stripped away in such a short space of of time. And it's so easy to think all this, all this that seems so permanent one minute can be gone the next. Then really what's left to cling on to? What is left? It's an important question to ask, isn't it? And it's at times like this, and I don't know if you have a faith in God or not, but the temptation is to believe that even God has set you adrift. Yeah, you know, some of you know I work with uh, people in Burkina who are often persecuted, and that is often that sense. Yeah, you know, how could God actually let this happen to me? How could God let this happen to us? And here we find Peter speaking to a church that was experiencing external pressures. They were persecuted as they were suffering grief in all kinds of trials, verse 6 talks about. And yet, because of this hope these Christians had, they were still able to rejoice. How do you do that? In the midst of trial and turbulence, how do you continue to rejoice? But they were. But Peter still wanted to remind them that this hope in Jesus was totally secure, this hope was kept in heaven. Paul says in in, in Romans 8, he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Or as the writer to the book of Hebrews says, but we have this love. Hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This hope is going nowhere. And fourthly and finally, and possibly most importantly, this hope is relational. This hope is about a relationship. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, I don't know what you experience, what your experience of, it, it is of I don't know what your experience of Christianity has been like. Maybe it was very much a, a ritual, a, 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 a religion, a religious activity. Maybe it was kind of quite cold, or, or, or harsh, or distant. It was certainly not intimate. I, I, I don't know. I could just guess. But talking about the living Lord Jesus Christ, Peter is encouraged. Peter is encouraged by encouraging the Christians here when he says, "Though, though, though you have not seen him, you love him." And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Though you have not seen him. Peter has seen him. He walked with him for three years. These Christians hadn't. That he was writing to. But he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. You want to follow him and obey him. There is a relationship there, a tenderness. And even though you don't see him now, you, you believe him. You have a living faith. And you're filled. It's not just a one-way street because you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You know, I met Jesus for the first time when I was 21 years old. Before that I lived how I pleased, did what I wanted, drank what I wanted, got my kicks where I wanted. But inside I was empty. There was a deadness there like the Indian chap we mentioned at the beginning. I could wake up in the morning, little to motivate me, just going through the motions with very little vision for the future without hope. A withering plant. But when I met Jesus, (laughs) everything changed. And, and this inexpressible joy that, that Peter describes in verse 8, I had now become became a reality It become a reality for me. I'd experienced that joy. Now, for those who know me, I'm not a joy freak. You know, you don't see me every Sunday at the back of the church, look at Mark, he's filled with joy. I hide it quite well. I think for most of us, we have moments of, of, of joy. We have moments when, when, when something comes alive in us and we can't explain why as, as, as Christians, but we know that there's a relationship there. And within that, there is this, this, this joy and there, and there is this hope. But I think I can say with hand on heart, even though I might not be full of joy externally all the time. I get it. I know what Peter is writing about here. As many of us do. We experience this joy that's described. But the point I'm wanting to make is this. The hope that the Bible talks about is not pure theoretical. It's not just an idea. This hope is personal. As ordinary men, women and children connect with Jesus. To put our hope in him. That is why Peter describes it as a living hope. I'm going to come to the end now. And I just want to finish with with just two two thoughts. The first thought really is directed to those who have already put their trust in, in Jesus Christ. Who is our hope? One of the problems is that we are easily distracted as human beings. I describe that we live at this period of time in a moment of mass distraction. It's not unusual to go to a restaurant and see a couple facing each other and yet they're both on their phones <coughs> distracted. We have so many, so much information flow. It really is too much to cope with a lot of the time, and yet some of our most positive things can still be a distraction, can't they? And I'm not going to name uh, any examples because the Holy Spirit is better equipped to do this than I am, because He's the one that knows every thought and every motive. And all those things that unnecessarily distract us. But verse thirteen tells us that our minds need to be prepared for action. And the instruction is quite clear is to put our hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. And it begs the question: where really is our hope? Is it that point that we look towards constantly for Christ's return? Or is it on other stuff? Our career, our success our family, all good things. But we can't put our hope in those because everything fades. Do we actually look for Jesus' return and that is where we pin our hope? The second thought is aimed at those who are really not yet connected with Jesus in a way that we've been talking about this morning. Yeah, maybe you feel that, 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 that emptiness that we spoke about and you would love to know this hope that the Bible talks about a little bit more. And Jesus wants to, you to know that hope. And maybe you have a lot of questions about what has been said this morning and I just say to you, no, no pressure at all. Ask questions. You know, there's people in this church that just love to talk to you about their relationship with Jesus and how it's transformed our lives. You know, it's why we meet on a Sunday to worship a living Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's why we like to reflect the love of God by caring for one another, caring for you guys come and talk. Come and talk to us. Because a journey always starts with one simple step and that step just might be a question. So let me pray for us as I close and I'm going to hand back to the band. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your incredible love for us but we thank you this morning for the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because we don't serve a dead Messiah or a dead prophet, but we serve and love a living Savior and his name is Jesus. Lord, may we rejoice in that. And Lord, if we don't know you and you've spoken to us this morning, then give us the courage to ask those questions. What's this hope you have? And how can I have that hope? And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.